So let's do it. Turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. 1 John 2, 28 is where we're at. And we're going to be going through to the end of chapter 3, verse 10, while we're together today. Now, We've been going through this series, going through the whole book of 1 John. It's a great book. This is our seventh week. We're about halfway through. And what I really like about this book is that God just lays it out so plainly, and he gives us lots of things to work on, right? And we've seen in this book the big picture, the big truth is this. God has a life for you. Somebody say, God has a life for me. And it's a good life. And I'm just saying, like, if God says, I have a life for you, Braden, that's the life I want to live. That's the life I want you to live as well. God has a life for you today. And it's a life that's marked by walking in relationship with him. We've seen that through the course of this book. It's all about walking in relationship with Jesus. And then everything else that happens in this life, good or bad, happens from that place. And in the context of you're doing life with him and for him. So it's all about Jesus. And we've seen that this life that we're called to is not a life of guesswork. We don't have to sit and wonder all the time, oh my word, am I on the right track? Am I doing the right things? Am I actually saved? Am I walking the path I should walk? Am I all right? God doesn't leave us to that kind of life that we have to just guess and doubt all the time. He's given us clues as to where we stand all the way through here. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, where we stand. How many of you have ever been in a situation with another person, say, and you don't know where you stand with them? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I guess so. Maybe it was, uh, you know, a time in your past when you met a special somebody and you didn't really know where you stood with them. You haven't done a DTR. How many of you know what DTR stands for? Define the relationship. You never had that talk. So I don't know, I'm kind of into them, but are they into me? I'm not really sure. Do they even know I'm, I exist? Where do I stand with that person? I'm talking to somebody today, I know it. Um, maybe it's at work. Maybe you say, I think that my boss hates me, but I don't know. My coworkers seem to like me, but I don't really know. Where do I stand with these people? Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's, how do my teachers feel about me? Where do I stand with them? The, the person that I sit next to in class, where do I stand with them? The, the people that I sit in the cafeteria with at lunchtime, where do I stand with them? If that's even a thing you do anymore. I don't know. That's what I did in school, sat in the cafeteria. I don't know. I'm quite outdated, but anyway. Knowing where you stand is helpful and clarifying. Like when you find out you made the team, great, awesome. When you find out that person accepted my friend request on Facebook, that gives you a little bit of a clue where you stand. Even if you get a negative answer, it's helpful. If somebody said to you, I wouldn't go out with you if we were the last two people on earth and the survival of the human race depended on us being together, I still wouldn't go out with you, okay? At least you know, right? It's good to know where you stand. God wants us to know, not just us here today, but he wants all people to know where they stand with them. Because when you don't know where you stand, it's tough to know how to proceed. And God is going to give us a word from his word today about how we can tell where we're at with him. So you got your finger in 1 John 2, 28? Yes, good, okay. The first thing we're gonna see then as we set this up, as we get into God's word today, is this, Jesus is coming again. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming again. 
It says in verse 28 of 1 John 2, it says, and now little children abide in him. That word abide, that's the centrally important word in 1 John. It's in the book of 1 John 23 times in five chapters. Big word. Here's what abide means. You get with Jesus, you stay with Jesus, you walk with Jesus, you pursue Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus. That's what abide means. So this says abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So I guess the question we see right off the start is, where do you stand with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Are you walking with him? Are you abiding in him? Because he is coming back. How many of you know Jesus is coming back today? Good. That's the right answer. Jesus is the son of God. He is God. He came to the earth to die on a cross in our place for our sins, to pay the debt that we owe for our sin. And, and he also rose from the grave victoriously. We celebrated that last week at Easter. Easter. Ding, ding. And Jesus not only died and rose, he then ascended into heaven. That's where he is right now. And before he ascended into heaven, he said, very Terminator-esque, I'll be back. He's coming back. And the day will come when Jesus does return, and he's doing so to bring this age to a close, to make all things new. And those of us who believe in him and belong to him will go to be with him forever. The question is, Will that day of his return be a good day or a bad day for you? And really, the answer lies in whose side you're on. I'll give you an analogy. When I was growing up, somebody says, you still haven't grown up. Thank you for that encouragement. When I was going through school, yeah, thank you. When I was going through school, I played hockey. I played house league hockey all the way up through school. And in case that terminology is unfamiliar, you've got like triple A, like really good hockey. You got your double A, pretty good. The A team, the B team, the house league team, okay? So I played house league hockey. And when I was in grade 12, there was a guy on our team who respectfully did not belong in house league hockey. He was far and away better than all the other players on our team, on pretty much every other team that we played. And no, his name was not Braden Jones, just to set the record straight. So this guy could skate faster, he could shoot harder, he could do the fancy moves better, he would help us win games, he'd score the big goals. We loved it. Our team, we loved this guy because he would just do it all and he would win games for us. Our opponents hated it. They couldn't stand this guy. And he wore this bright red helmet so you knew when he came onto the ice like he'd just make an appearance. They couldn't stand it because he would just dominate. He'd skate circles around them. He was the same player, same figure, did the same stuff, but our perspective on this guy was different depending on what color jersey you were wearing. Jesus is coming back those of us who believe in him and belong to him, that's going to be a good day for us. Because when we see him coming in glory and in power and in authority, we know that it's the final, the full manifestation of the victory that he has won and is going to win. And we know that we will get to go and be with him in a place where all is better 
How many of you know, like there's better than what we see here on this earth? There's better. And when Jesus comes back, we will come into that. It will be a good day for us. For anyone though that does not know and believe in and belong to Jesus, it will not be the same story. Same Jesus, same figure, same event, he's coming back. But on that day, those who don't know him, those who don't believe in him, those who have never accepted him and aligned themselves to him, they will see him as he truly is. You see, there's not a third option here. There's two options. When he comes back, you'll have confidence or you'll shrink back in shame. There's no third option like indifference. Oh, Jesus came back, I didn't notice. Jesus came back, I didn't care. No, it says in God's word that when he comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So for those who don't belong to him, they will still see him, they will still acknowledge him for who he is, but they don't have the same fate. Anyone that is not on team Jesus, wearing the same color jersey as Jesus, anyone who is not in the family of Jesus and been saved by Jesus will be cast out and condemnation and shame and punishment awaits. So it all comes down to that question, whose side are you on? Do you know Jesus today? Do you belong to Jesus today? Because that makes all the difference. And you need to know that all of life and all of history is marching toward that day. It's coming. Like we can't avoid it. We're not going to miss it. We can't escape it. It's coming. And we ought to live in preparation for that day. We ought to live in preparation for what we know is coming. Let me say it this way. If you went on a trip to Florida, if you can just pretend, you know, that we were still allowed to do that, I pray to the Lord someday we'll be able to go on a trip again. You go on a trip to Florida, your trip, like you, you start preparing for that trip before you go. You buy your plane tickets, you, I don't know, get someone to look after the dog, whatever. Like you don't pack for your trip to Florida after you get to Florida. It doesn't just begin once you arrive. Though granted, some of you would pack the night before or the morning of, right? Confession time, yes. You prepare for that because you know it's coming. Well, same with this, with Jesus. This day of his return is coming. So we need to be preparing ourselves. We need to be living in light of what we know is coming. Okay, what are we supposed to do then? How are we supposed to prepare? What are we supposed to be concerned with and doing and being all about until he comes? Well, look at verse 29 there. It says, if you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In other words, until Jesus returns... We need to get onto this program of righteousness. We need to live righteously. A couple of things on righteousness. Number one, Jesus is righteous. Somebody say, Jesus is righteous. He is perfect. He is flawless. He is without sin. He is holy. He is worthy of praise. That's just who he is. That's who, that's who our Savior is. He is, he is righteous. It says right in that, if you know that he is righteous, it says right in there. Second thing about righteousness, you and I are not righteous. And that's a problem because righteousness is required to get with God and to be with God and to abide with God, right? Jesus is righteous, we are not. That's a problem. And here's the other problem. We can't make ourselves righteous either. It's not about, okay, if you say I'm not righteous, I'll just try really hard to be righteous. I'll just do enough good things. I'll say the right things. I'll earn my way in. That's not how it works. 
We are utterly unrighteous in and of ourselves and nothing that we do, no works that we perform get us to that state. Somebody says, I'm not very encouraged so far. Well, here's some good news for you. To be, it's possible for us to be righteous, but it's not based on what you do. To be declared right in the sight of God, it all depends on Jesus' righteousness and the work that Jesus has already done. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, when we align ourselves to him, when we hitch our wagon to Jesus and we get saved, his righteousness is credited to us. So even though we are not righteous, we are called righteous because of him, because of our faith in him and our connection to him. It's not about you at all. Once we get onto this program of becoming righteous in the sight of God, we get saved, that's where we start to focus on the practice of righteousness. See it right there in the bottom corner? Practices righteousness. So the righteous things that we do don't save us. They don't make us right with God. But once we are right with God through faith in Jesus, we start practicing righteousness. That word practice, very important word, and we're going to see it later today. That's referring to not a state of mind, not a status on paper. The practice of something is what you actually do, the things that you do, the, the way that you live in a consistent, ongoing manner. Got that? So we're supposed to practice righteousness until Jesus comes back. We're to regularly, routinely, often, we're to pursue this this doing things that are right in the sight of God. That's what we're to occupy ourselves with until the day of Jesus' return. And it says, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In other words, if you're a Christian and you make it your business to pursue a life of righteousness, that's a sign that things are clicking along the way they're supposed to. Remember we said there's not, there doesn't need to be guesswork in this life. It tells us right there. It, you can tell that things are clicking along when your profession of faith in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. When your profession of faith leads to the practice of righteousness. And you say, Braden, this sounds way too simple. It is simple. It's a simple word. It's not always easy, but it's a simple word. Write this down. Life is about coming to Jesus walking with Jesus and becoming more like Jesus while we wait for the return of Jesus, right? Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, right? It, it points us to Jesus because he is righteous and we're to become more like him in that. Life is about coming to Jesus, walking with Jesus and becoming more like Jesus while we wait for the return of Jesus. Again, I will say that day is coming. Whose side are you on? Do you know Jesus today? Have you been saved by Jesus? Have you met Jesus? That's a big question today. That's what it all kind of hinges on right here. And so with that, again, we can tell where we stand. So if you're saved today, like you know what side of history you're gonna be on. Let that be an encouragement to you. Now we're gonna continue on in our text and we're gonna sort of plumb this a little bit more deeply. And we're going to talk about children of God. I think that you will like this part. I think that you're going to like this part. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Some of your translations will use the word lavished. That's just a good word, lavished. 
But here we're in the ESV. It says the love that he has given to us. Here's what you need to know. Our God is a giver. Our God is a giver and he is an abundant giver. If our need is like this big, God gives this big. That's just who he is. That's what he does. Our God is a giver. And one of the things that he has given us and given us in abundance is his love. See what love the Father has given to us. And God's love, listen now, of all the mysteries and realities and grand things of God, his love has got to be near the top of the list of things that we ought to drop our jaws at. Because you have to understand, here's God who is eternal everlasting. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He's vast. He's creative. He is high and exalted and perfect and worthy of praise. Like that's our God. I can't really put him in a bottle, but that's a little descriptor of who our God is. And now when you think about us, when I think about me, listen, I know that we like to think we're the center of the universe, and that it all revolves around me and it revolves around you, it doesn't. We, like really, like really, in the grand scheme of things, we are one little speck of all that's been created. All that's been created. You are one grain of sand on the beach of all beaches. You are one little, you are one little ink spot on some obscure page in a big dictionary. I couldn't think of a bigger book than a dictionary. Encyclopedia, I don't know. We're like this. But God is aware of us, for starters. The fact that he'd even notice us is like, wow, that's awesome. But he doesn't just notice us. God knows us deeply and intimately. Somebody should later on read Psalm 139, just for a reminder of that. Not only, though, does God notice us and know us, he loves us deeply, like, like, this, like we're this, and he's this, and he loves us. I need you to know today that God loves you. Turn to your neighbor again and say, God loves you. Do it again, but with enthusiasm. You can do better than that. There you go. That was better. That was better. We're in church today, guys. It's all right. Now. Sure does, mate. Love it. Now, let's, let's raise the stakes a little bit, okay? God loves us. He notices us. That's great. Let's compound matters by stating the fact that we're sinners. It's not as though, hey, we've always done the right thing and we're super pleasing in the sight of the Lord, all the stuff that we've done and we always say the right thing and we always get it right and God would be foolish not to love us because look how awesome we are to him. No, no. No, we have all sinned against him. We have turned our backs on him. We have treated him with contempt. Like he made the world good and we broke it. He made it all perfect and we corrupted it. Like we've made a mess of our own lives. We've made a mess of his creation. We have treated him with such contempt. We have sinned greatly against God. And I don't know about you, but if some, if like another person treated me that way, or if someone else treated you that way, I wonder how you would respond and how I would respond. Someone that's just so against you, so violent against you, so hostile toward you, just treats you awfully. Like, 
you might be inclined to punch them right in the nose, right? Maybe you take the high road and you just say, you know what, if you're going to be like that, like, I'm out. Like, I'm just going to distance myself from you. I don't need to deal with that. See you later. Listen to me. God does neither of those things. Even though we have treated him horribly, we've sinned against him, we've made such a mess of what he has made, he loves us anyway, in spite of that all. And not only does God, you know, just love us on paper, God actually pays to clean up our mess. He pays to, it's not his mess. He didn't make the mess. He shouldn't have to clean it up, but he does. Because, listen, he knows that we can't pay for it. He knows that we can't clean it up. And out of the goodness of his heart, out of the, the overflow of his love for us, listen, he doesn't just pay a little bit, you know, pay a little bit, sweep that under the rug, make it go away. No, he pays the highest price. He pays it all. God sends his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die in our place. Not because of something he did, something we did. He comes to take on the weight of the wrath that we have stored up. He comes to take on horrible treatment and punishment and agony that we deserved for our good and his detriment. When you consider the cross of Jesus Christ, I hope that what you see is the love of God poured out for you. I want you to know today, if you ever doubt, if you ever wonder, if you ever question, does God love me? I actually want you to do this right now. I want you to physically turn around and look at the back at that cross. If you ever doubt that you're loved, oh, I guess we have one at the front too. That also works. <laughs> I can't see it. Come on now. That's hilarious. Listen, if you ever wonder if you're loved by God, consider the cross and you can see the price that he paid for you because he loves you. You are loved by God today and I hope you know it. Does anybody know it? Okay. And again, we didn't deserve it. Like he didn't do it because that's what we earned. You know, he, he needed to pay. No, 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 no. It's a free gift of grace. God has given grace to us. He has lavished his love on us. And now we all have the invitation and the opportunity to accept this gift of grace and come into a relationship with God, having our sins forgiven and coming into the life that we were born to live. It's because of him and his love and his grace. It's all about Jesus today. Now listen, if it stopped there, that would even be enough. You know what I'm saying? If all God ever did for me was save me from my sins and pay my penalty, and, 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 and save me, and give me all that, that, that would be enough. If all God ever did was pull me up out of the pit, and just set me on dry ground, and say, you're on your own, listen, it doesn't stop there, though. The love of God doesn't just stop in our salvation, because, look at this, let me keep going here. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. God doesn't just love us enough to save us and then ditch us. He adopts us. He brings us into his family. It says in Galatians 4, 5 that we're adopted as sons and daughters of the king of all kings. Let that sink in for a second. Now, 
Listen, just a quick clarification on this. There are people who think that every single person in the world is a child of God. You've heard people say, we're all God's children. That is technically not true. All people, now let's just get this straight. All people have been created by God. All people are loved deeply by God. Jesus died for all people and all people are invited to life and salvation in Christ. Yes, amen to that. However, we're not all God's children. Scripturally speaking, you become a child of God when you come to Jesus. Because otherwise, why would you need to be adopted? Why the distinction between you're not a child and now you are? When you come to Jesus, you become a child of God, fully a child of God. If you're not belonging to Jesus, you're not a child of God. Just make that distinction there. Now, if you hear this language of adoption and, and children, and that means God is our father, like, I don't know where that's landing today. Maybe you're a little freaked out by that. Because just even that word father, like this language of family, some of you didn't come from a great family. So you're like, I don't want in on that. Well, listen, God is a good father. God is a very, very good father. And you know what else? He loves his kids. I want to tell you, there are actually real benefits and blessings and a life in being a child of God. I could like take you to any number of places in scripture to show you that. But uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8 just for a second. In Romans 8 verse 15, it says that we as Christians, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. So again, you're not just isolated or left to the side. When you come to Jesus, you're brought into a family. That means you have brothers and sisters and you have to get along too. That's a whole other sermon. That'll be next week's sermon. But anyway, we're brought into a family. We're not alone. God is our father. We have a family in Christ. Okay, uh, in Romans 8, uh, still verse 15, it talks about we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How many of you like the music group Abba? Just saying, I do, love them. Well, we're not talking about them. Had to just bring them up. Abba, Father, when you hear that, that's language of intimacy. That's language of affection and closeness and relationship. So in other words, we're brought into a close, deep, meaningful relationship with God. That's part of being adopted into his family. So that's good news today. We're not going through life alone. Then uh, in Romans 8, 17, it says, if we're children of God, we're also heirs. Somebody say heirs. Heirs. It's actually, it's H-E-I-R-S. Heirs like to an inheritance. We as Christians are in line for an inheritance. And that inheritance is not a little bag of money. It's glory. It's eternity with God. It's blessings. It's the promises of God finding their fullness and their expression in our lives and in our experience. So there are real, real blessings and benefits from being a child of God. And I could go on and on and on and on and on about that, but I'm going to keep on in 1 John. What love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And look what it says then. And so we are. I love that he adds that on there, that little tag. And so we are. In other words, there's no fine print. 
There's no little star beside that. If you belong to Jesus and believe in Jesus, you are a child of God, period, exclamation mark, end of discussion. And listen to me, no scheme of the devil, no lie that is uttered over your life, no policy from the government, no pandemic, no trial, no temptation, no this, no that, can ever separate you from the love of God. No, nothing in this world can happen that can change your status as a child of God. Are you thankful for that today? Somebody give him praise then. Lift it up. Come on now. And so we are. And it says, the reason why the world does not know us, Christians, children of God, is that it did not know him. In other words, there's lots of people in the world that don't understand. They don't get it. They say, there's a God and I have to be saved and I'm a sinner. And uh, No, that's, no. Some people don't get it. But what this is telling us is, listen, don't be discouraged. If people around you, if people close to you, if people in your life somehow look at you and they don't understand your status in Christ, they don't understand the faith that you have, don't give up. Don't be discouraged by that. Because listen, it doesn't really matter what other people think. It can't change your status as a child of God. So don't give in to just what other people say or think. Don't give in to peer pressure or whatever. Um, because we are his children. Now, verse 2 says... Beloved, we are God's children now. Again, the word now, as in we weren't before, we are now, as people who believe in Jesus. And what will be has not yet appeared. In other words, you're not done yet. We haven't arrived yet. We are marching towards something. We're to be working on something. Oh, we already talked about that. It's when Jesus is returning. We're to be walking with Jesus becoming more like Jesus while we wait for the return of Jesus. And so are you growing? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you pursuing that life of righteousness? Are you growing in your faith in Christ and your walk with him? Because you're not done yet. But when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So there will come that day when Jesus returns and this life is brought to a close and this age is ended and all of that trajectory of our life of walking with Jesus and growing in him and becoming more like him, it's going to meet its full expression. That day is coming. And on that day, we are going to see the Lord Jesus face to face, even as we are seen. We are going to know him even as we are known. We are going to see him with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. And I don't know about you, when I think about that, I get very excited because again, there's more than this. There's more than the trials of this life. We're gonna see Jesus one day. Let that fuel you. Let that encourage you. Let that give you strength. And everyone, verse three, who thus hopes in him, Jesus, purifies himself as he is pure. So remember, we already said Jesus is righteous. Jesus is pure. We are not righteous. We are not pure. But we are declared righteous and pure through faith in Jesus. That covers us, his righteousness, his purity. So what this is telling us is it's a reminder of our status. Listen, if you believe in Jesus, you are righteous because he is righteous. If you believe in Jesus, you are pure because he is pure. Is that good news to anybody today? So to sum up that section, here's the question. Are you a child of God today? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you been saved by Jesus? If so, you are fully, utterly, totally, and completely a child of God. And let that be known that you know where you stand in him. 
you know where you stand. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder what your status is. You belong to Jesus, and that's ultimately all that matters. One more time, let's just give it up for him. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for making us your children. Yes. Yes. See, I told you you'd like that part. You feeling good after that part? Well, I'm going to fix that because we got more scripture to get into. <laughs> I jest. However, the part that we're going to come into now is a bit of a flip of the script. And some of the stuff we're going to read in this next section, I'll just tell you straight up. It's pretty direct. It's pretty blunt. It's pretty black and white. Okay? Consider yourself warned. Are you ready then? Okay. We get into verse 4. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now again, see that word practice right on the first line. I told you we'd be back to it. That word practice is talking about the things we actually do in an ongoing, regular, routine kind of manner. The way we live our lives consistently. Practice. And we talked about the practice of righteousness. Here's the practice of sinning now. And whoever makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Well, you say, that doesn't sound so bad. So what? I broke the rules a little bit. I, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I told a little white lie or I, whatever. I just, no, listen, that word lawlessness is actually a very serious word. That word lawlessness, what that's implying is you have taken what God has said, what God has willed, what God has desired, and you are essentially tossing it to the side and you are doing what's right in your own sight. And what you're essentially doing is saying, God, I know better. My ways are higher. I'm smarter. I know best. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live my own truth. You know what that is, friends? That's idolatry. That's putting something or someone, it's usually ourselves, before God, in the place of God. That's what lawlessness entails. That's a serious word. I need you to see that today. This is not just some little, you know, snap of the fingers thing. This is like a deep, serious, you've just walked away and gone away from the will and the word of God and the character of God. So it's a deep thing. Now, in verse 5, it says, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So Jesus came to give us a life, and it says he came to take away sins. Well, how does it follow then that it would make sense for us to continually walk ongoing, deliberately, consistently, with no regard to stop, in sin? Because Jesus came to take away sin, and it says in Romans something, what, like, why should we walk in it any longer if we've died to sin? It doesn't make any sense. What business do we have in continuing to practice it? Jesus came to take away our sin, not coddle us while we're in sin. And sometimes what we say is, Jesus accepts me just the way I am. Just as I am, come to me just as you are. Yes, that's very true. Let it be known. All people, we can come to Jesus just as we are. We don't clean ourselves up first. We come as we are. Here's the problem. Sometimes we take that too far and we use that as a license to keep on sinning. I can just do this because he has grace for me. He loves me. He accepts me just as I am. You know what? Jesus does accept you just as you are. Here's the deal though. Jesus says, come to me just as you are and I'm gonna change you. When you walk with me, when you get with me, you're not gonna stay the same. So we can't just continue to walk in sin, practicing sin. It says 
In verse 6, no one who abides in him, there's that abides word again, keeps on sinning. And, and, and again, it's keeps on sinning. Listen to me. We said way back in week two of this series, there's a difference between a walk and a step. You remember that? When you're talking about a step, it's the occasional misstep, stumble, slip up. We all do that. Can we just like get on the same page about that? We all do that. We all sin. We all stumble in many ways. There's a difference between that. Even if you stumble a lot, the guy that I look at in the mirror does, even if you stumble a lot, there's a difference between that and the blatant, deliberate walking in sin, practicing sin, just deliberately, deeply, no desire or regard to stop. There's a difference. And this says in verse six, again, no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. Anyone who is actually in Christ does not have this practice, this walk of sin in their lives. And it says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Woo. Direct. You might know going to church. You might know praying a prayer before the meal. You might know trying to be a good person. But this is telling us that if you walk in this way, you walk just this deep, ongoing pattern of sin, you might know all that other stuff. You don't know God. That's what that says. You don't know him. You've never seen him or known him because no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now look at verse seven. It flips it over a little bit. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness, there's practice again. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. In other words, don't be fooled. Look, if you claim to be a Christian, but your life is marked by this unrighteousness, this continual practice, this deep, dark, ongoing sin, you are not who you say you are. But if you claim to be a Christian and you pursue that life of righteous living, you're not going to do it perfectly, but that's your goal. That's what you're targeting. That's what you're working toward. Then you are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. You are righteous as he is righteous. Okay, verse 8 then. You're going to flip it back over again. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Black and white here, guys. Like, I read that a few weeks ago and I said, jokingly, I said, doesn't he know this is 2021 and you're not allowed to say things like that anymore? <laughs> Listen, he doesn't care. This is the word of the Lord and he's just laying it right out for us today. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So this talk of the devil, that's Satan. And you've heard this before, but I'll remind you, Satan is a created being. He was actually an angel, a ministering angel in the presence of God, powerful angel. And he rebelled against God. He, he said, I want to be God. I want to reign. I want to rule. And he, he, tried to overthrow God, and that did not go well for him. And he and all those who followed him were cast out of God's presence, cast out of heaven. And when we talk about sin then, Satan is the originator of sin. That's who he is, that's what he does. And when we walk in that pattern of ongoing sin, what this is saying is we're actually living in line with who Satan is. 
And that's a problem because we've said and seen time and time again, we're to be walking in line with who Jesus is. It's not compatible there. It says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So earlier we read that he came to take away sins. Well, now we up the ante a little bit. He comes to destroy the works of the devil. Now, this is like put a stop to it. Get rid of it. It's not, oh, I'll take it away and I'll put it on a high shelf where you can't reach it. It's like, get rid of that sucker. Like do away with it once and for all. And through Jesus' death and resurrection and his victory, he put a stake in the ground. And even though there's still sin running rampant in the world, again, the day of Jesus' return is coming. And on that day, all sin will be done away with for good permanently. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So then when we get to verse 9, and it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Again, Jesus came to destroy sin. So how can we who belong to him live in it continually? It does not add up. Furthermore, it says, because God's seed abides in us. His seed, that's talking about things like the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit and we have God's word and we have his joy and his peace and his promises and his presence all abiding in us. So what I'm saying is, if God's seed and involvement and presence is there in our lives, there's no place for this kind of sin. You can't have it both ways. And this is very clear. You guys, you guys with me today? You seeing this? Verse 10 then kind of sums it up to close. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. By the way, that last line about loving his brother, next week, Jim Edel's preaching. Jimmy, that was a segue right into you. Segue, remember that? Okay, just helping you out, buddy. But it says, by this it is evident. You can tell. You can tell where you stand. It's evident who are the children of God and who are not. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Black and white, you can just see it there. If you claim Jesus, and that's evidenced by the practice, the ongoing pursuit of righteousness in your life, you're on track, period. If you claim Jesus and unrighteousness reigns in your life, it says it right there. We don't belong to God. We belong to somebody else. And that is not the life that God has for you. God has a life for you today. God loves you. God wants good for you. And I think he's laid it out pretty clearly in his word about where we stand on things like that. Now we're gonna wrap up. And all this text has sort of been leading us to a question. And that question is this, where do you stand? Who do you belong to? Because you belong to somebody. Every person belongs to somebody. Maybe you're hearing this or listening later and you're not a Christian yet. You've never come to Jesus. You've never been saved by Jesus. You've never made that decision and, and just gone for it in that way. Maybe you are a, a God believer. You're a church person. You've got some background there, but maybe you've gone down a dark path. Because I, I know you guys, but I don't know everything that's going on in your life. 
Maybe you've gone down a dark path and you're not just, you know, the occasional slip and stumble and doing the wrong thing here and there, but you've, you've gone down a road of deep and dark and continual, ongoing, deliberate sin. Maybe it's widely known to people. Maybe it's a secret. Maybe literally nobody knows about it except for you. Maybe you're a Christian and again, you're not perfect, but by God's grace, you are pursuing the practice of righteousness and by his strength and by some miracle, you're actually getting it right some of the time. Wherever you are on this kind of spectrum, listen, I want this to be a message and a word of grace for us today because listen, no matter where you're at on that, we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus today. We all need to experience and encounter the glory and the presence of Jesus today. And we all need Jesus to do a work in our lives and in our hearts today. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at. I don't care about your background or your circumstances. We all need more of Jesus today. So if you need to be saved, you can be saved by Jesus today. If you need to be forgiven, Jesus can forgive you today. If you need to repent and turn from your sin, you can turn and give it to him today. If you need to be restored, listen, our God is a God of restoration. If you need strength to move out, out of some sin in your life that's just taken hold and you're walking in it. He is a God who supplies strength. Or if you just need the strength to keep going and keep pursuing righteousness because it's not always easy. It is not always easy. God will supply that strength to you. If you have a desire to dive more deeply into his will and into a relationship with him, he is the God who has a life and a plan and a hope and a future for us. We all need to look to Jesus and get with Jesus today. And like I said before, it's all about getting with him, walking with him, and becoming more like him while we wait for his return.